Part two of Chapter fifteen of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter fifteen, Part two. Is this true love? asked Margaret in agitation. This is true love, but not the whole of it, as for what follows. But is this what every woman has to undergo? Do you suppose that every woman knows what love really is? No, not even every unmarried woman. There are some among them, though I believe but few, who know nothing of what love is. There are, undoubtedly, a multitude of wives who have experienced liking, preference, affection, and taken it for love, and who reach their life's end without being aware that they have never loved. There are also, I trust, a multitude of wives who have really loved, and who have reaped the best fruits of it in regeneration of soul. But how dreadful is the process, if it be as you say! I said I had alluded to only a part of it. As for what follows, according as it is prosperous or unreturned love, heaven ensues upon its purgatory, or one may attain a middle region somewhat dim but serene, you wish me to be plainer? I wish to hear all you think, all you know, but do not let us go. On with it if it makes you sigh so. What woman ever spoke of love without sighing, said Maria, with a smile. You sighed yourself just now. I was thinking of Hester, I believe. How strange, if this process really awaits woman. If it is a region, though which their path of life must stretch, and no one gives warning or preparation or help. It is not so strange as at first sight it seems. Every mother and friend hopes that no one else has suffered as she did, that her particular change may escape entirely or get off more easily than there is the shame of confession which is involved. Some conclude at a distance of time that they must have exaggerated their own sufferings or have been singularly rebellious and unreasonable. Some lose the sense of the anguish in the subsequent happiness, and there are not a few who, from constitution of mind, forget altogether the things that are behind, when you remember, too, that it is the law of nature and providence that each should bear his and her own burden, and that no warning would be of any avail. It seems no longer so strange that while girls hear endlessly of marriage, they are kept wholly in the dark without love. Would warning really be of no avail? of no more avail than warning to a pilgrim in the middle of the desert that he will suffer from thirst and be divided by the mirage before he gets into green fields again he has no longer the choice whether to be a pilgrim in the desert or to stay at home no one of us has the choice to be or not to be and we must go through with our experience under its natural conditions to be or not to be said margaret with a grave smile you remind one that the choice of suicide remains, and I almost wonder, surely suicide has been committed from dread of lighter woes than you have described. I believe so, but in this case there is no dread. We find ourselves in the midst of the struggle before we are aware, and then, I and then, he who appoints the struggles of the spirit supplies aids and supports. I fully believe that this time of conflict is that in which religion first become to many the reality for which they ever afterwards live. It may have been hitherto a name, a fancy, a dim abstraction, or an intermitting though bright influence, 
and it may yet be resorted to merely as a refuge for the spirit which can find no other, but there is a strong probability that it may now be found to be a wonderful reality, not only a potent charm and sorrow, but the life of our life. This is with many the reason why, and the mode in which the conflict is endured to the end. But the beginning, said Margaret, what can be the beginning of this wonderful experience? The same with that of all the most serious of our experiences, levity, unconsciousness, confidence. Upon what subject in the world is there a greater accumulation of jokes than upon love and marriage? And upon what subject are jokes so infatigably current? A girl laughs at her companions, and blushes or pouts for herself, as girls have done for thousands of years before her. She finds by degrees new and sweet and elevated ideas of friendship stealing their way into her mind, and she laments and wonders that the range of friendship is not wider, that its action is not freer, that girls may not enjoy intimate friendship with the companions of their brothers, as well as with their own. There is a quick and strong resentment at any one who smiles at, or speculates upon, or even observes the existence of such a friendship. "'Oh, Maria!' exclaimed Margaret, throwing down her work and covering her face with her hands. "'This goes on for a while,' proceeded Maria, as if she did not observe her companion. "'This goes on for a while, smoothly, innocently, serenely. Mankind are then true and noble. The world is passing fair, and God is tender and bountiful. All evil is seen to be tending to good. All tears are meant to be wiped away. The gloom of the gloomy is faithless. Virtue is easy and charming.' and the vice of the vicious is unaccountable. Thus does young life glide on for a time. Then there comes a day. It is often a mystery why it should be that day of all days, when the innocent and gay and confident young creature finds herself in sudden trouble. The film on which she lightly trod has burst, and she is in an abyss. It seems a mere trifle that plunged her there. Her friend did not come when she looked for him. He is gone somewhere." for he has said something that she did not expect. Some such trifle reveals to her that she depends wholly upon him, that she has for long been living only for him, and on the unconscious conclusion that she has been living only for her, at the image of his dwelling anywhere but by her side of his having any interest apart from hers, the universe is, in a moment, shrouded in gloom, her heart is sick, and there is no rest for it, for her self-respect is gone. She has been reared in a maidenly pride, and an innocent confidence. Her confidence is wholly broken down, her pride is wounded, and the agony of the wound is intolerable. We are wont to say, Margaret, that everything is endurable but a sense of guilt. If there is an exception, this is it. This wounding of the spirit ought not perhaps to be, but it is very like the sting of guilt, and a wounded spirit who can bear. How is it borne so many as are the sufferers? and of a class usually thought so weak? That is a mistake. There is not on earth a being stronger than a woman in the concealment of her love. The soldier is called brave, who cheerfully bears about the pain of a laceration to his dying day, and criminals who, after years of struggle, unbosom themselves to their secret, give tremendous accounts of the sufferings of those years, but I question whether a woman whose existence have been burdened with an unrequited love will not have to unfold in the next world a more harrowing tale than either of these. It ought not to be so. It ought not, where there is no guilt. 
but how noble is such power of self-restraint though the principle of society may be to cultivate our pride to excess what fortitude grows out of it there are no bounds to the horror disgust and astonishment expressed when a woman owns her love to its object unasked even urges upon him but i acknowledge my surprise to be the other way that the cases are so rare yet fancying the case one's own oh dreadful cried margaret no woman can endure the bare thought of the case being her own and this proves the strong natural and an educational restraint under which we all lie but i must think that the frequent and patient endurance proves a strength of soul a vigour of moral power which ought to console and animate us in the depth of our abasement if we could but recall it then when we want support and solace most it can be little estimated little understood said margaret or it would not be sported with as it is do not let us speak of that margaret you talk of my philosophy sometimes i own that part of the subject is too much for any philosophy i have i see nothing philosophical said margaret in making light of deepest cruelty and treachery which is transacted under the sun a man who trifles with such affections and abuses such moral power and causes cruelty flirtation is such an one as we will not speak of now well it cannot be but that good moral and intellectual good must issue from such exercise and discipline as this and such good does issue often perhaps generally there are sad tales sung and told everywhere of brains crazed and graves dug by hopeless love and i fear that many more sink down into disease and death from th this cause than are at all suspected to be its victims but not a few find themselves lifted up from their abyss and set free from their bondage of pride and humiliation they marry their loves and stand against amazed at their own bliss and are truly the happiest people upon earth and in the broad road to the widest in my belief the happiest are ever so bless you for that for hester's sake and what of those who are not thus released they get out of the abyss too but they have to struggle out alone their condition must depend much on what they were before the conflict befell them some are sword and live restlessly some are weak and come out worldly and sacrifice themselves in marriage or otherwise for low objects some strive to forget and to become as like as possible for what they were before and of this order are many of the women whom we meet whose minds are in a state of perpetual and incurable infancy it is difficult to see the purpose of their suffering from any effects it appears to have produced but then there is the hope that their griefs were not of the deepest and what of those whose griefs are of the deepest they rise the highest above them some of these must be content with having learned more or less of what life is and of what is it for and with reconciling themselves to its objects and conditions in short with being philosophical said margaret with an inquiring and affectionate glance at her friend with being philosophical maria smiling agreed others of a happier nature to whom philosophy and religion come as one and are welcomed by energies not wholly destroyed and affections not altogether crushed are strong in the new strength which they have found with hearts as wide as the universe and spirits the gayest of the gay you never told me anything of all this before said margaret yet it is plain that you must have thought much about it that it must have been long in your mind 
It has, and I tell it to you, that you may share what I have learned, instead of going without the knowledge, or, alas, gathering it up for yourself. Oh, then it is so. It is from your own. It is from my own experience that I speak, said Maria, without looking up. And now there is someone in the world who knows it beside myself. I hope you do not. I hope you never will repent having told me, said Margaret, rising and taking her seat on the sofa beside her friend. I do not, and I shall not repent, said Maria. You are faithful, and it will be a relief to me to have sympathy, to be able to speak sometimes, instead of having to deny and repress my whole heart and soul. But I can tell you no more, not one word. Do not. Only show me how I can comfort, how I can gratify you. I need no special comfort now, said Maria, smiling. I have sometimes grievously wanted a friend to love and speak with, and if I could, to serve, how I have a friend. And the look with which she gazed at her companion brought the tears into Margaret's eyes. Come, let us speak of something else, said Maria, cheerfully. When do you expect your friend Mr. Enderby at Deerbrook again? His sister says nobody knows, and I do not think he can tell himself. You know he does not live at Deerbrook. I am aware of that. But his last visit was such a long one. Six days, said Margaret, laughing. Ah, uh, I did not mean his last week's appearance, or any of his pop visits. I was thinking of his summer visitation. It was so long that some people began to look upon him as a resident. If his mother does not grow much better soon, we shall see him again, said Margaret. It is always her illness that brings him. Do you not believe me, Maria? I believe as before, that you say what you think. Whether you are mistaken is another question, which I cannot pretend to answer. I hope, Maria, that you have placed so much confidence in me. You will not stop short at the very point which is the greatest importance to me. I will not, dear. What I think on the subject of Mr. Enderby, in relation to you, is that some of your friends believe that you are the cause of his stay having been so long in the summer, and of his coming so often since. I know no more than this. How should I? Then I will tell you something more that I might as well have mentioned before. When Mrs. Rowland had an idea that Mr. Enderby might think of Hester, she told Hester that miserable day in Dingleford Woods that his family expected he would soon marry a young lady of family and fortune, who was a great favorite with all his connections. Who may this young lady be? Oh, she did not say, someone too high for our acquaintance, if we are to believe what Mrs. Rowland declared. And do you believe it? Why, do you? I dare say Mrs. Rowland may believe it herself, but she may be mistaken. That is exactly what Hester said, observed Margaret, eagerly, and that was more than five months ago, and we have not heard a syllable of the matter since. And so intimate a friendship as yours and Mr. Enderby's is, said Maria, smiling. It is scarcely probable that his mind should be full of such an affair, and that he should be able to conceal it so perfectly from you. I am glad you think so, said Margaret, ingenuously. You cannot imagine how strange it is to see Mrs. Gray and others taking for granted that he is free, when Hester and I could tell them in a moment what Mrs. Rowland said. But if you think Mrs. Rowland is all wrong, what do you really suppose about his coming so much to Deerbrook? I have little doubt that those friends of yours, Mrs. Gray, and the others are right. But, but what? 
just this if i might warn you by myself i would caution you not only against dwelling much upon such a fact but against interpreting it to mean more than it possibly may this is my reason for speaking to you upon the matter of all i do it because you will be pretty sure to hear now the fact itself is viewed by others while no one else would be likely to give you the caution mr enderby may come as you suppose entirely to see his mother he may come to see you but supposing he does if he is like other men he may not know his own mind yet and there is another possible thing a thing which is possible margaret though he is such a dear and intimate friend that he may not know yours all its strength of affection all of its fidelity all its trust and power of self-control oh stop pray stop said margaret you frighten me with the thoughts of all you have been saying this evening though i could so entirely satisfy you as to what our intercourse has been though i know mr enderby so much better than you do you need warn me no more i will think of what you have said if i find myself doubting whether he comes to see his mother if i find myself listening to what others may suppose about his reasons indeed i will remember what you have said then i am glad i ventured to say it particularly as you are not angry with me this time i am not at all angry how could i be so but i do not agree with you about the fact i know it and i may be mistaken now tell me said margaret what do you suppose morris meant when she said what you heard about the pleasure of solitude depending on one's thoughts being happy or otherwise i know it is a common old idea enough but morris does not know that and i am sure he had some particular instance in view morris does not make general propositions except with the particular case in her mind's eye and she is a wise woman and we think her sayings are weighty it struck me that she had a real probability in her mind but i did not think it related to mr enderby or to anything so exclusively your own concern no i hope not but what then i think that morris knows more of life world than you and that she does not anticipate quite so much happiness from hester's marriage as you do do not be distressed or alarmed she means no mistrust of anybody i imagine but only that there is no perfect happiness in this life that nobody is faultless and no home not even where her young ladies live is quite free from care and trouble it would not hurt you surely if she was to say this outright to you oh no nor a good deal more of the same tendency she might come much nearer to the point good soul without hurting me suppose i ask her what it was she did mean to-night or to-morrow when she and i are alone well if she is such a wise woman but i doubt whether you could get her nearer to the point without danger of hurting her can she bring herself to own that either of you have faults oh yes she has never spared us from the time we were two feet high what can make you so anxious as to what she meant i really hardly know unless it be that where one loves very much one fears oh so faithlessly i know i ought to fear less for hester than ever and yet the door burst open and the footboy entered with his jingling tray and news that the sedan for miss young was at the door what sedan margaret had asked mrs gray for hers as the snow had fallen heavily and the streets were not fit for maria's walking maria was very thankful 
Here was an end of Maria's bright holiday. Mr. Gray's porters must not be kept waiting. The friends assured each other that they should never forget this day. It was little likely that they should. End of chapter 15